Well, I'm Pastor Jim. Welcome to Faithbrook on this warm morning, and thank you for viewing us this morning wherever you are at. Uh, we're so glad to have you. Hey, we want to have a big shout out for the, the Minot uh, Church, uh, one of our sister churches in Minot, North Dakota. Why don't you raise your hand if you're from the Minot Church? Let's give them a big shout out, right? <laughs> welcome, welcome. The pastor back there, Pastor Allen. Thanks for being our guest today. Now, if you're a guest with us, maybe it's first or second time, you're in person or online. Thank you for giving us a, a chance. We'd love to uh, send a thank you note out for you or email, but we need your address to say thank you. Uh, so online, if you go on our website, faithbrook.church slash type in guest slash there are formula, come down, fill in your name, your address. We're going to say thank you. Also, in our house here in front of you, there's a blue card. That's our guest card. If you pull that out, fill that out. Put that in one of our offering boxes on your way out. We're going to send $5 on your behalf to one of our local food shelves just for giving us a, your address and checking us out. We're so glad that you have come this morning. Well, I, I'm uh, taking a little break today because we've got a fabulous uh, minister coming, Mike Delgallo. He's been on um, paternal leave, and so why don't you welcome him as he comes and wraps up our series, The Journey of Grace. Well, hello, everyone. It is so good to be with you again. I just want to say congratulations to you grads. Man, it is awesome. I remember graduating high school, and I was so glad to be done with it. So I uh, look forward for uh, what God has in store for you guys uh, in these next coming years for sure. Well, as uh, Pastor Jim just said, my name is Mike Delgallo. I serve as the Connections Pastor here. And uh, for those of you who have been around here for a while, you may have known I have not been around. Well, uh, I am a dad now. I've been out on paternal leave. And uh, I've had a baby girl. I had a, had a baby girl a few weeks ago. And uh, her name is uh, Evelyn Kay. There should be a picture up here of her. Oh, yeah, there she is. Oh, Oh, yeah, look at her. And she isn't she just, oh, I think there might be a couple more. We can just kind of, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, look at that. Mm. And there's obviously that handsome guy right there, too. So, um, well, man, I, I will say stepping into uh, being a parent, man, the last five and a half weeks definitely have had their ups and downs, but man, it is so, so awesome. So Evelyn Kay was born on April 27th at 1224 a.m. She was seven pounds even, and she was a long little sucker at 20 and a quarter inches long. So man, and uh, as I said, the last couple weeks, uh, you know, they've, they've had their challenges and, and whatnot. So for those of you that have been praying for my wife and I and for Evelyn, or she goes by Evie, uh, when you get a chance to see her, I just want to say thank you, church, for your prayers. Thank you for your love and thank you for your support. And and we look forward to uh, dedicating her at some point here in the future. So again, thank you so much. Well, I did ask uh, Pastor Jim, I think I asked him, hey, uh, I think people just want to see pictures of Evie, right? Like uh, we could probably spend about 30 minutes on that. And he just kind of smiled. So I figured, all right, I, I, guess, I guess I can do a sermon instead and wrap up this series. So that's where we are today. We are going to be wrapping up our current series, A Journey of Grace. And in this series, we're walking through the different facets of uh, the grace that God shows us through our journey of life. And we find that with the exception of just a, a few, few people in history that we all pass through two doors of life. The first door that we all pass through is this one over here, the door of birth. We all are born into this world and there's nothing we could do. This is how we come in. We are born through the door of birth. 
And the second door that is inescapable is the door of death. And we find that all of us at some point, with the exception of very few people in history, have, uh, will go through the door of death. And this is something that we will all experience. And even though that we go through these same doors, what we do find that is different for us in this journey in between is that we, we find that we may have similar experiences in between, but no two are exactly the same. And so in this past weeks, what we have gone through is we've looked at these different facets of God's grace, and we see how it affects us and how we go through this journey. And so what we found is that, that God's grace truly is amazing. It truly is something that is incredible, something that we can't fully comprehend. And part of the, uh, part of the facet of this is that uh, God's grace really does seek us out. It really does search us, and it really does seek us out. Second thing that we see is that it really it saves us, that his grace uh, seeks us and saves us. And third, we see that his grace compels us. His grace compels us to be fully devoted followers of him. And we find in all of that, we find that his grace is sufficient. It is something that is more than enough, more than we will ever need to hold us up and to get us through life. So now we come to this, uh, the end of the series here, and what we, what we find is that we've experienced God's grace, and now we, we want to answer Christian, okay, now what? what? What is next? And what we, what we see is that as we have experienced God's grace, how do we live as people who actually show and reciprocate that grace to others? And I think although the answer might be simple, we find that it can be difficult to live out. And I, I think as we look at what does it look like to be a gracious person, if we're going to live out this idea of grace, what does that look like? I think there's a couple different pictures that come to, to mind. I think a different couple words come to mind. And I think first what's, what's a real challenge is that we find that grace, if we're going to be a gracious person, you know, we, we really tend to find ourselves having to take this higher road, right? You always tend to find yourself having to take a high road to be the better person, Another thing that we think about is that we think that uh, gracious people, we think that they can be weak. We, we think that uh, people who are um, overly gracious might just tend to let things slide. Uh, maybe they are people who get steamrolled. Maybe they get uh, pushed around or they're taken advantage of. And what ends up happening is there becomes emotional hurts. And so I think sometimes what happens is it can be hard to be gracious simply because their experiences tell us that when we show grace, we can get hurt and it can be painful. Now, I think for most of us, we have relationships with others, or for those of us that don't like people, we at least have interactions with over people. And over time, we find that we inevitably get hurt. Yeah? Uh, just by a show of hands, uh, who here has been hurt emotionally by someone else uh, over your lifetime? Go ahead. And let me just see a show of hands. Now, if this person is here, don't point them out. But <laughs> I, I think the truth is, is that when you're in a relationship with other people, inevitably, we're going to get hurt. We're, we're going to be hurt by someone. And I think for some of us, when we think about being gracious towards someone, you know, if it's, if it's a one-off, if it's just something really minor, you know, I think we can kind of brush it off. But what about those situations? What about those times where it's, it's constant? It happens over and over, and it's intentional. And, and it just feels like we're getting steamrolled and pushed over. And I think for, for a lot of us that we can feel that navigating this graciousness can be quite touchy, and it can also be emotional as well. So how do we navigate this tension? How do we navigate this tension of graciousness in our lives? And so today, our discussion is going to be uh, going about how are, we look, uh, how are we going to live out this uh, graciousness and being really the sense of a person of grace. Now, 
When we, we find that uh, when we aren't gracious towards others, uh, we find that it can actually have some negative effects in our lives. You know, in fact, it, can, uh, it really impacts the relationships. It can even cause mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical distress as well. And uh, we know when we find that when we're not gracious towards others, it, it can lead to resentment, it can hold to holding grudges, and it can even lead to hostility towards others. You know, for Americans today, this is actually a pretty big issue that a lot of Americans, I think the stat was about 60% of people, say they have hold or are holding a, some sort of grudge. And if you just do a basic internet search, you, um, we can find countless medical journals or articles explaining how holding grudges and resentment actually affects our health. You see, unresolved conflict, no matter how big or how small, uh, it actually can uh, affect our, our physical health as, as well. You see, when uh, we hold these grudges and we hold these things, it actually can lead to anger, which leads to elevated heart rates. It can lead to uh, high, uh, elevated blood pressure, and then it invokes an immune response. So now all of a sudden we find that we have an increased risk of anxiety, stress, hostility, depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. So we see that living a life of graciousness and being a person of grace, in fact, does calm stress levels and leads to improved health. And so we find that when we hold these grudges and we hold resentment, it literally brings down the quality of your life and the relationships around you. So how do we navigate these, these grudges? How do, we, how do we have graciousness towards others, and especially, especially when there's some wounds, especially when there's some pain, what, uh, what that holds? So let's go ahead and see what God has to say about being a person of grace. So today we're going to be going to the book of Matthew. It's one of the Gospels in the New Testament. So if you want to pull out your physical Bible or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, I tend to read my Bible on this app. It is awesome. Uh, we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 18. Now, Matthew, like I said, in the New Testament, if you want to turn there or go there. And uh, in, in Matthew 18, Jesus is uh, going to be uh, talking about a parable. Uh, and prior, he's talking to uh, a bunch of people. And, and before we get to the verse we're talking about, he, he's just talking about what it is to, uh, if you're in the church, so that's among brothers and sisters in Christ, so what do you do when you find someone who sins? So someone who does something intentionally wrong, what are you supposed to do? And so it talks about how to resolve the conflict within the community of the church. So then all of a sudden, after this, Jesus goes into this little answer, how to, how to go about this. And so Peter, Peter's one of the 12 disciples. He's one of the main guys. And so he then uh, has this little uh, question in his mind, and he perks up. And he asks a very simple but great question. So we're going to dive right into verse 21, chapter 18, verse 21. And this is what the text says. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, here's a, a, simply, uh, a, a, a simple question, but it is very loaded. Now, first, the, let's look at sin. This idea of sin, what he's actually asking is, it's not these unintentional things. It's not an accident. It's not when you accidentally do something to someone else. This is something that's intentional. You're intentionally wronging someone. So he's saying, you know, how many, how many times should I forgive someone who intentionally wrongs me? How many times should I, should I do this? 
Uh, and so this, this question, he's, he's looking for this literal answer. He, he's looking for something because he, he really, really wants to know is how many times do I have to forgive someone? How many times do I have to show someone grace before I'm off the hook? How many, how many times do I have to do this? Now, according to Jewish rabbis, according to the Old Testament and th- through that study, the teaching was that you would show grace or you would forgive someone up to three times. And then the fourth time, you could be done with them. You see, if someone in your church community, now this is not just a stranger, this is someone who's within the church community. Uh, so if someone here at Faithbrook were to wrong you, how many times were you to forgive them or show them grace? And so the teaching was you'd do it three times. And on the fourth time, you could push them off and be, and be done with it. And this comes from, uh, if you want to check it out, Amos cha- uh, chapter 1 in the Old Testament. This is a prophet. And that's where they get their, their teaching from. So Peter, in asking this question, he knows this. He, he has been taught in the, the way, so he knows this teaching. This is something that he would have known as a, a Jewish man. He would have known this teaching. And so he's not asking, uh, he's now upping that number, right? So he's asking not just double, so six, but he's saying, hey, what, if, what if it's seven times? So, and, and, he's, and he's, seven's not just a random number. Seven, to in the Jewish community, symbolizes this idea of wholeness or completeness, so this is what Peter's really getting at here. He, he's trying to be righteous. He's trying to be right before God. He's trying to do the right thing, right? So he's asking Jesus, so Jesus, if I were to forgive someone seven times, whoo, seven times, I'm right, and then I can do away with them, right? Then I, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd still be good. I'd still be good, right? But I love Jesus' response in verse 22. This is how he answers. He says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, uh, some other translations also, uh, some scholars think it could also mean 70 times 7. So Jesus is saying you are to forgive someone, you are to show someone grace, not maybe 77 times or 490 times. Now, if we think about this for just a moment, it'd be quite ridiculous to think that someone would actually intentionally wrong you 77 times, let alone 490 now, the, the idea here is that Jesus is trying to, to get to a point. He's really trying to, to show uh, something bigger here. So then he goes into an elaborate story or something to really tell what it shows like to be gracious to others. So he continues in verse 23. He goes into a parable and he says this. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Okay, so the, the kingdom of heaven here is, is the church. So he's saying, okay, this is your local church, and the brothers and sisters are the Christians within the church. And in this kingdom, there is a king who's God, and then there are his servants who are you and me and uh, everyone else. And so he says, as he began the settlement, uh, a, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold, and this person was brought to him. Now, in the Greek, this is really interesting because it also says it's 10,000 talents, Now, one of these talents, a talent, was meant to be worth about 20 years of a day laborer's salary. So if we were to calculate that in today's wages, and let's just say someone's making $15 an hour, this would calculate into owing a a, a little over $6 billion, $6.2 billion. That's someone owing $15 an hour. So you have a minimum wage job, maybe just a little better than minimum wage job, and your debt that you owe to a creditor is $6.2 billion. I mean, could you imagine, could you imagine having a credit card debt that high? Could you just imagine that, owing that to MasterCard? That, that comes in $6.2 billion. That's the, that's the price of some small countries. 
That is their, that is their, that is, uh, their operations budget. But that's the debt. And you could just imagine that this is the quite the debt. This is the quite the debt that someone would have to carry. And the idea here is that it's not about the exact number. It, it's meant to be so large that it, you just could not imagine what it would be. In fact, I think even for us, we would think, man, this is like four or five gazillion dollars. Like, it's just astronomical. We couldn't even imagine the kind of debt this would be. So the idea here is that no person... No person could ever pay this off, let alone uh, making $15 an hour. But no matter what kind of salary you make, you would never be able to pay this off in a lifetime, let alone multiple lifetimes. So Jesus continues. He says, Since the servant was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. They see, in the ancient world, what would happen is if you owed a debt, you would be able to uh, either sell yourself or you'd be sold to be a, a slave into uh, servitude uh, to the creditor in order to pay the debt. So you would be uh, hired and you would work in uh, an allotted amount of time until the debt was paid. Well, you can imagine in this instance, owing over $6 billion, you would never pay that off. So you'd be essentially working for a whole entire lifetime. I mean, could you just imagine owing this to MasterCard and, and they, they take you and they, they buy you out and basically you have to be on their call center for the rest of your life. That's all you do. You, your wife, your kids, and your family, everything you had is sold. You don't own anything. And here you are, you're working for MasterCard, having to pay off this debt. That is kind of the picture here that, that Jesus is, is, uh, is setting up. It's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. So Jesus continues. He says, so at this at this, knowing the servant's going to be sold, knowing, knowing this, that he's going to be in this kind of debt and he's going to have to be working for the rest of his life, he falls on his knees before the master. He falls on his knees and he says, be patient with me, he begged, and he'll pay back everything. Now, the words here in, in English, uh, this, this falling on his knees, it really doesn't capture everything, everything here. Well, the, the word that's used here in the Greek is really this word of prostration. So literally, he falls to, his, uh, falls to the ground on his knees and bows down face to the ground. That is the kind of picture here that, that is uh, said, and it's almost a sense of worship. It's almost a sense that he, he understands how low he is as a servant and how high his master is and how unworthy he is in a sense. And it's also this picture of him kissing his master's ring. He, he's saying, he's begging, he's pleading, he's saying, I will do just about anything, just forgive me of this debt. And there's something really interesting here that the, the master does. Check this out, verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, Cancel the debt and let him go. You see, this idea of really taking pity on someone, uh, the word here is really he's showing, he's showing immense compassion. That, that the master felt the weight of this debt within, within his very inner being. That's the idea of this word compassion here, that he really felt, he really felt this. And not only that, he felt the weight of this debt, he cancels it. He says, it's gone, no more. And then it says, and then he let him go. So he was sentenced to go to prison, but he said, you know what? You can go. You don't owe me anything, and you can go. And he's free from this life of servitude. You see, this this is a great picture of what a gracious person person looks like. You know, I know about about you, but uh, I was was reading through this text. I was trying to imagine. I was trying to imagine myself as a servant. Okay, what, what would it look like if that were me? What would it look like if that were me, and I owed $6.2 billion dollars and I was forgiven of that. What would that look like to be forgiven of that? What would my response be? You know, what would your response be? How would you respond? Well, I think you might be surprised at what the servant does next. 
You see, the servant then is forgiven this debt, and he goes on his way. And he runs into a fellow servant uh, who also owes money to the master. He runs into a fellow servant, and this, this other servant owes this guy money. And it's, it says that he owes about 100 silver coins. Now, this 100 silver coins, it, it's not really, uh, a, some translations say it could be equivalent to, in this day's age, if you had made $15 an hour, it'd be about $12,000. Uh, some scholars also think that it could be significantly less. It could be something like 50 to 100 bucks. It's, it's almost nothing. But anyway, the servant goes up to his, to his fellow servant, and he chokes him. And he says, hey, pay me back what you owe. It's 50 bucks, bro, 50 bucks. And yet this is how he, he's treating him, completely different. So the servant that's being choked that has this debt of uh, this such small, insignificant debt, you know, says, man, you know, just would you have patience with me? Just show me some pity. I, I, I will, I will, I'll pay it back, I promise. And instead the servant, he says, no, you're going to go to prison and you're going to work it off until you pay back what I owe. And what we find here is this, this, this drastic difference of, of interactions. We find the master in interacting with the servant, uh, one of graciousness, and we see a lot of similarities. But when the servant interacts with his fellow servant, man, I mean, he, he just is rude. There's no compassion, and there's absolutely nothing there. So out of this, there's some bystanders. Right, Because remember, the master is calling all the servants to, to uh, repay debt. So other servants are, are watching this. And they see this interaction. And they're a little puzzled. They're a little confused. And in fact, they're, they're a little moved. I mean, imagine, imagine if you're one of these people. You're, you're, you're standing in line waiting to be called up to see what you owe and how you're going to pay it, what's going to happen. And you watch the front of the line, and this guy gets forgiven of this massive debt of $6.2 billion. You're like, okay, that's crazy. And then he goes, and you watch him walk to the other end of the line, runs into another servant, chokes him over 50 bucks. What would you do? How, what, what, would, how, what would you do? Well, what happens is the, the servants start talking amongst themselves and they go to their master. And when they go to him, they, they then complain and they say uh, they're actually outraged. It says that they, uh, and they go to the master and tell him everything that had happened. And so here's the master's response in verse 32. It says, the master called the servant in. He says, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? You see, in this parable, it seems pretty obvious. I think it seems pretty obvious that being gracious towards others is not something that's optional. You see, it's, it's something that's almost expected, especially for those of us who are Christ followers. You see, as God shows us grace the expectation is that we reciprocate that grace to others around us. However, I think what makes it so difficult is that our hurts, our pains, and our tensions with others is very real. It's very tangible. We feel it. And so being this person of grace and being gracious towards others, you know, it's not always just a switch that can be flipped. However, it is something that can be learned and I think what we find is that God's grace inspires us to live as people as grace. That God's grace inspires us to live as people of grace. You see, when we are confronted with God's grace and we experience his grace, we can't help but be people who reciprocate that grace to others. Now, maybe, uh, maybe you haven't connected the dots yet, but in this parable, uh, we, we find that this servant here is you and me. 
We find that the servant here is a, is a representation of you and me. And this, this uh, debt is really uh, an analogy for sin. See, the debt's so big. It's so large. It's unpayable. There's no way you could ever pay back this debt towards God. There's no way. But yet, out of his grace, as we've seen over the past few weeks, his grace is so amazing, he completely and fully forgave us. And sometimes I think before we go out and we're gracious towards others, we have to remember, we have to remember and reflect on the grace that God has shown us. And I think that sometimes that no matter uh, how much we've been wronged, no matter what that situation looked like, it doesn't compare to the debt that we owe God. And so we must remember, we must remember that God has fully and completely forgiven us of our unpayable debt. And so out of that, we are to be inspired to uh, reciprocate that to others. And we see that God's grace truly does inspire us to be people of grace. Now, as we step out of this life uh, uh, is being people of grace, they said it's not, it's not always easy, uh, but it is something that is a conscious choice. And I think we can learn quite a bit from the master's response in verse 27 about how to be a person of grace. So here's Here's a couple things I think we could pull from that verse where we can see how we can be people of grace. And the first thing that we see is this, that the master had pity. And so for us to have compassion. You know, I think a lot of times what happens is when someone comes at us or uh, someone is critical of us, maybe they hurt our feelings or maybe a situation comes up. uh, Maybe they say a hurtful statement. Our knee-jerk reaction is to all of a sudden put up our defenses. Right? And sometimes we, uh, we not only put up our defenses, but man, we go right back at them. Right? We come back with something just as hurtful, and that's not grace. And here what we find is that the master showed compassion. He had pity. He shows compassion. And what grace does, grace says that we, we step back a bit. Grace says we step back. And grace says that we have compassion and we feel. We feel for the other person. Because sometimes... You know, we don't know where that person's coming from. We don't always know what situation they have. We don't know what they're coming from. We don't know what's going on in their, their life. So would we take a moment? Would we have compassion? And would we have uh, compassion for their sufferings, their misfortunes? You know, we don't know what's going on. And would, we, would we really empathize? Would, would, we, would we really understand? Empathy is this idea of understanding and really sharing in their feelings. And also this idea of having compassion is really being able to step back and keeping perspective of the entire situation. So for one, have compassion. The second thing that we see is that the debt was canceled. So this idea of really fully forgiving the other person, fully forgive. You know, I think a lot of times we'll say, I forgive you for something, but there's just a little bit in the back of our mind that we just hold on to, you know. We hold on to it and we say, I forgive you. It's just words. But here, if you notice in here that the master completely canceled the debt, complete forgiveness. And that, that here is what, that, that is what we're looking at right here is complete forgiveness. We completely forgive them, completely dismiss what went on. You know, I love uh, uh, what Pastor Jim says. He says that you can't mature without these steps of surrender. And it's really this idea of surrendering. We surrender, we let go, we drop and we forgive the, this other person. And my wife, who's a therapist, she says, you know, it's not only just forgiving, 
but it's really the sense of forgetting as well. We really forget it. It's, it's bond. We're putting it. It is a tough one. It is. So we fully forgive. And the third is what we see from this master towards the servant is he let him go. Now, obviously, when someone wrongs us, we don't uh, have them thrown into prison. That doesn't happen here. It's not literal. But in the figurative sense, sometimes I think we hold people in prisons without them even knowing it. You know, sometimes we have this grudge and we have this hurt and pain that we're so tense and we're holding on and we're, and we're really holding on to that pain. And so we've said, yeah, I forgive you, but we really haven't let them go. And we hold them to something that they, they may not even know. And we're holding them to something. And so all of a sudden we're treating them with rudeness. All of a sudden we're treating them with contempt. Why? Because we, we can't let go. And so we see here that this idea of really being able to let, let it go. Let it go. You see, when we, we let go, we're not holding up anger. We're not holding up resentment. We're not holding up any of these things. And, and what we find is that when we do hold on to anger, we do hold on to these things, man, it really, really messes with us physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And so part of the, part of the way to be able to let go of these things is, you know, sometimes, sometimes you have a conversation. Sometimes you're able to, to actually talk, talk about it. Sometimes maybe you're not able to have a conversation, but inside you, you really let it go. You let them go. You release them. Now, here's, here's a, a, major, a major caveat. I think sometimes we think of when we're showing grace and we're going about this in our everyday lives, uh, sometimes there can be this expectation that the relationship is fully restored. Sometimes we can expect that to happen. And I think experience tells us that isn't always the case. Sometimes, sometimes there, there isn't full relational restoration. Sometimes there, is, uh, there needs to be a little space. Sometimes there needs to be a little bit of time for, for the relationship to heal. But the most important thing, most important thing is for, for you that you're not letting the hurt and the pain consume you. So here's a challenge as we go. Here's a challenge as we go. This is a question that you can ask yourself this week. How can you be a person of grace this week? Who can you be a person to, or who can you be a person of grace to this week? You know, if you just take a, take a moment to think about the different people that you interact with, you know, maybe it's your, your family, uh, maybe for those of, uh, those of you who are going back into your workplaces, you know, who do you see, uh, who do you see at the marketplace, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, those you see over Zoom calls, who are the people that you're interacting with on a week-to-week basis, and how can you be a person of grace towards them? You know, sometimes, sometimes there's a looming situation. Sometimes there's been some, maybe there's something in your life where it is a relationship. Maybe you've been holding on to something for quite a while. Is there, some, is there a situation that you need to deal with? Is there someone that you need to be a person of grace towards this week? You see, when we make this conscious effort to remember how much God has given us, we can't help but reciprocate that grace towards others. And when we live as people of grace, we find that we are more. Uh, we find that ultimately we are more spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally healthy people. So, what would it look like in your life if you were to make the conscious decision to live as a person of grace? Well, if uh, you don't know me, maybe you don't know me that well, but I can tend to be a pretty critical person. This is something my wife calls me on a, a bit. Now, criticalness, it can be seen as a negative light, 
but it can also be good when it's paired with graciousness. However, you know those critical people, you know, they're, they're always finding something wrong with something. They're um, always pointing something out. But however, in the right light, criticalness with grace can be something very beautiful. And in fact, it could, in my life, I find that when I pair that with graciousness, I'm able to have a better compassion for people and be able to, to spot some things and, and uh, not be so quick to judge, but I can be able to say, man, something's going on. I could be compassionate and loving. But I think for a lot of times in my own life, I, I forego the grace and I go straight to criticalness. And it could just be so quick. It could be so quick, so quick to jump there. But here's the truth. When I remember the grace that God has shown me, I can't help but want to be gracious to others. And it's something conscious. It's something that I have to consciously remember God's grace. And in turn, I remember to be conscious towards others. Because I think we find that God's grace really does inspire us to live as people of grace. And I think that could be true for us here as well. You know, how, how, different, how different would our everyday lives be if we were intentional as a community? Could you imagine if Faithbrook Church really lived as people of grace? Could you, could you just imagine with me for a moment the impact that we could have? Imagine how different your families would look. How different would your workplace look? And for those of, you that, those of you that are at school, how different would your schools look? You know, I, I bet you that this would bleed into uh, every facet of your life. And I think, I think if we just sit and imagine for just a moment, man, maybe that could be a little overwhelming. <laughs> but I, I think the truth is we just think of, man, who's that, who, who are those few people? Maybe that one person. Who, who can we be a person of grace to? I guarantee you the impact would be incredible. I bet guarantee you that families would be changed, lives would be changed just from one person. And I think we would be able to see God do amazing things in and through us because that is what happens when we learn to be people of grace and we learn to live a lifestyle of graciousness towards others. And when we do that, we do that, that's when we can really begin to navigate this journey of grace. So would we go ahead and stand up together as we go today? I'd love to pray a prayer, a blessing over us that we could be people of grace as we go, to be a blessing towards our families and our communities. So let us pray. God, we, we look at a, at a parable like this and we read your words and we, we just are overwhelmed by the amount of grace that you, that you have shown us. And Lord, would we be able to take some time this week to reflect? Would we be able to take some time to remember just how much you love us? And in turn, as we go, would, would we be able to walk out these doors and be people of grace, not only towards others, but even those in our community? God, we ask that you uh, remind us we know that the power of your Holy Spirit will empower us as we go, and we pray for that. We pray that we could be a light for you in this community as you are doing great things to see people come and know your name. So Lord, will you bless us as we go, and we thank you and we praise you, and in Jesus' name, amen.